Jesus, we thank you for this day, and we thank you for the opportunity to come together as a community today. We thank you for this music that ushers us in to an awareness of your spirit with us. We ask, God, that that spirit make us vulnerable right now, that it opens up our minds, our hearts, our spirits, and helps us be aware of where you are trying to move us, God. So God, as we go into this message, I just ask that you guide my words, you guard my tongue, let my words be your words for your people. In your son's name I pray, amen. Amanda, I loved in your prayer that you said an extraordinary effort, because I think that is what Lent calls us into, to make an extraordinary effort to orient our lives towards Christ. Um, I forgot, I got so excited about talking about the birthday party and groups and everything that I forgot to do our normal, our normal, like, welcome, hi, my name's Reverend Angie Robertson, I am the associate pastor here at Blackwater United Methodist Church and also the lead pastor of this community we call The Table. If you are a guest here with us today, uh, you were handed a, um, a little connect card and a giving envelope. The connect card is just our way to get to know you better, and we're going to send you a thank you gift in your email. So this is your first time here. Please fill this out and make sure that we have an email address for you, and we're going to send you a little something. Um, and then the giving envelope. If this is your first time here, um, we ask that you don't put anything in that envelope unless you really feel God uh, putting that on your heart. Uh, we don't want you to feel compelled to give. You are a guest in our church home, and we just want to make you feel at home here. So those of you that are committed to the life and ministry that we do here at the table, we do ask that you give, and we ask you to put it in that envelope, or you can give online on our website. Okay, I covered the, the bases. We're good. Everyone know, knows how everything works. Um, there's baskets at the back on your way out. You can drop connect cards and giving envelopes in those baskets on your way out today. All right. Today is the first Sunday of Lent, which we've been talking about for the last few weeks. It is a season in the Christian church of self-reflection and repentance. It is a season of orienting ourselves toward God through extra spiritual disciplines. So last week we passed out a guide um, that had practices. It was like three to four in, in three different categories. There were inward practices, outward practices, and corporate practices, practices that we do together. And what I asked everybody was to pick one thing from each of those categories that you can commit to during Lent. So whether you were going to pick, you know, from fasting, you want to fast from something, and we talked about you know, you can give up coffee, or if you want to do something, you can give, you, if you really want to go hardcore, go vegan for Lent. Like, there are different ways of doing that, but there's lots of different practices. I highly recommend Richard Foster's uh, Celebration of Discipline. It is the first book that I ever read that got me uh, to understand the purpose of spiritual discipline. If you want to understand, like, a little bit more in depth what each of those are, that's a great place to start. And so if you haven't start, started yet, you don't have well, Lent's out the window because I haven't chosen anything. You can start at any point. Any point we decide we want to reorient our lives towards Christ, God, like, cool with that. It doesn't, ha yeah, you, it didn't have to happen on Ash Wednesday because we were, we were frozen on Ash Wednesday. So if you were like, I haven't even thought about this because my pipes were frozen and I didn't know what to do, it's never too late to start. So you still have plenty of time. Um, you can do it all the way until that last day if, you, if that's when, when it happens for you. The purpose is committing to something at some point that says, 
I want to make an extraordinary effort to come closer to Christ so that I can be transformed. Okay, so today we're going to begin our new message series. And um, for Lent, I wanted us to spend a significant amount of time talking about who exactly Jesus is and was. Now, I named the series, um, Who Is This Man? And, and I named it that because in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you have the uh, story of, of Jesus stilling the storm. And you, if you're not familiar with the story, they're out in the boat. And in each gospel account, it's a little bit different. But the gist of it, if you cover all three of those, the disciples are in a boat with Jesus. The, Jesus is taking a nap. He's, he's got a pillow. Only, only one of the gospels says he had a pillow, but he had a pillow according to that gospel. Um, and there's a crazy storm going on, and they wake Jesus up, and they say, Teacher, like, how are you sleeping? We're, we're going to go under. And Jesus, you know, you have little faith, and he, he calms the storm. Like, who do you think I am? And they say in that scripture, Who is this man that calms the sea? Who is this man that can still this storm? And it's repeated through, through those three Gospels. Well, that's what I named the series, but we're um, actually, we're going to be in John's Gospel all through Lent, and it's the one Gospel that does not have that story. That's the ironic part of it, if you, if you want to make fun of me a little bit. But who is this man is what we are going to look at, because one of the primary tasks of our four Gospels is to get us to understand who was Jesus. Who was Jesus then? Who is Jesus for us now? What is the identity? Who is this man? So we're going to be spending seven Sundays, six weeks in the Gospel of John. So if you are not in a group this semester, I'm, and if you're in a group and you're extra zealous about your Bible study, <laughs> I'm going to be posting on Mondays um, a reading list of uh, scriptures to read during the week from the Gospel of John, so that by the time we get done with Lent, you'll have read all of John, but that'll be posted on social media and go out in the email that we send out from the church every Monday, which if you're not signed up for that, you can go to Blackwater's website, blackwaterumc.org, and sign up for the emails on their front page, and you'll get that. We just send one um, Monday email and one Friday email for our family. So today we're going to kick things off with a story of Jesus disrupting the cultural norms of his time. So at this point in the gospel, Jesus learns that these Pharisees um, have heard that he was gaining a following in Judea. Okay, I'm going to have a map for you in a minute so that we can all look at this. But he's starting to get some followers in this area. And the Pharisees have found out and they aren't happy about it. And so Jesus decides to leave Judea and go back to Galilee. Now to get to Galilee, you have to pass through Samaria. So this is where we are in this story that we're covering today. It's about noon. They've been traveling through Samaria. Jesus is tired, and he sits down by a well of water. So we are in John's Gospel, chapter 4, verse 7 through 26. Chapter 4, 7 through 26. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. 
Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, You have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. And he told her, Go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she said. Jesus said to her, You are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah, called Christ, is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. And then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. So let me show you where all of this is taking place, if we can get our little Bible map. All right, so Judea is down at the bottom, and that's where Jerusalem is, okay? Samaria is that blue one in the middle, and Galilee is up there in the yellow. Galilee is where Jesus lives, Jesus of Nazareth. Do you see Nazareth? So anyone who's in that yellow area is called a Galilean. Judea is down here, and he's trying to pass through Samaria. Now, the Pharisees, when I talk about the Pharisees, these were the Jewish religious leaders. Um, they were the, the teachers and the spiritual authority for uh, everyday folk, all right? They were the local pastors. They, they were the people in the villages. They were the, the religious authority for them. And these are the people who have caught wind that Jesus, and down, oh, that's okay, you don't have to put it back. Um, down in the Jerusalem area, like this is where the spiritual home of the Jews is. And so this is where Jesus has, has started to pick up a following, which could be very dangerous for him. So the, the, he leaves because he's not ready to have that conversation with the Pharisees yet. That conversation will come, but it's not time yet. So in order for Jesus and the disciples to get, they have to pass through Samaria. But most Jews who would pass through, they would actually go around Samaria because for most Jewish people, um, they would take the long road to avoid this area. And let me tell you why. During the exile, whenever the Jews were exiled from that northern uh, where Samaria is, there were some that were left over. And while the, the Jews are exiled, 
the foreigners moved in. Okay, so the foreigners moved into this area and they brought their pagan gods with them. And those that were left in the area ended up getting together with Jewish, you know, men and women and blending these gods that they worshipped. They kind of blended some of their religious stories. So once the Jews get out of captivity and they come back, they're like, that's not the God that we worship. So these were, these were considered um, not Jewish anymore. The Sumerians still considered themselves Jewish, even though they had incorporated some other faith practices, but the Jewish people did not consider the Samaritans as Jewish anymore. So in this story that we read of Jesus talking to a Samaritan woman, let me help, like, give you a picture of what it would mean for Jesus to talk to this woman. This is the most unclean person Jesus could have been talking to. They were alone. She was a woman. She was a Samaritan woman. And she had lots of husbands. To touch her, to speak to her, to draw, have her draw water and drink from her water vessel would have made Jesus unclean. So as a rabbi, as a teacher, Jesus would not have been permitted to do this or he would have been unclean. And if you become unclean as a Jewish person, there's all these ceremonies, uh, ceremonial cleansing that you have to do. You have to go to the ten temple, you have to make a sacrifice, and then you, depending, on what, depending on what the sin is, now you have all these things that you have to do before you are now no longer clean. Now, if you are unclean, that means that you make everybody else around you un, uh, unclean also. So this is a big deal that Jesus is sitting there, and this woman knows it. The other part of this is that people, I told you, they would travel around Samaria because they were such a broken relationship between the Jews and the Samaritans, such, such a terrible broken relationship that if they passed through there, the Samaritans would kind of like heckle them uh, because a lot of the time when Jews would pass through there, they would be going down to Judea in order to go to Jerusalem. So they would, they would heckle them, often then bringing about violence. They could be robbed. They could, they could get into fights so people would die. So they, they would go around just to avoid this conflict altogether. So if we don't understand these things about the world of Jesus at the time, we miss so much of what's happening and like the radicalness of what Jesus was doing. Because a lot of people tend to make this story just about this woman having had one too many husbands and Jesus still being willing to hang out with her. But there's so much more culturally happening there that we should understand that to anyone reading this gospel in first century, this would have been disturbing to read. This would have been something, he did what? It would have shocked the person off the page to hear, to see that Jesus was talking to this Samaritan woman. And here's what I want us to hear, that in this time that Jesus talks to this woman, now remember this is John's account, so when we look at our gospel, some things don't necessarily happen all in the same order. In John's gospel, this is the first time that Jesus reveals that he is the Messiah. This, in chapter 4, is the first time people have called him the Messiah. 
People have called him the son of God. People have called him the son of man. They've called him the lamb of God. He's called Israel's teacher, rabbi. But in this story, this is the first time that Jesus reveals to somebody else that, yes, I am the, this is, this is me. And he says it to the most unclean person in his society. A Samaritan woman, husband. He can reveal for the very first time his messiahship to what would have been perceived as an enemy. Can you imagine her confusion? That this Jewish man would have anything to do with her. She goes to the water to draw water from the, or she goes to the well to draw water. And there is seated this Jewish man all by himself, and he asks her for a drink of water. And when we talk about Samaritans in the Bible, um, loving our enemies, when we talk about those things, this isn't something that Jesus just said to do. This is something that Jesus illustrated for us time and time again. No matter how many times he actually said it, he did it ten times more. It's something he modeled. He modeled for us what would be expected of those of us who claim him as Messiah, as Savior. That if we make this claim, what is asked of us is that we would be willing to go into enemy territory. Go into the places where we aren't welcome, with the people we wouldn't welcome. It is to cross all social norms, societal expectations, cultural boundaries, these love your neighbor and love your enemy sentiments that Jesus said and did were not just single line expectations of us. They were, they were illustrated for us through all of Jesus's ministry. That we, like Jesus, are to be offering that living water because we are so filled with that living water that it spills over into the people that we encounter the people that we encounter in our lives, in our neighborhoods, in our communities, the people who live and love and look differently than we do. So are we, are we offering living water to the unexpected and expected people in our lives? Those we would consider Samaritans and those that we wouldn't. So, <clears throat> this weekend, um, Thursday night, I had a, a meeting here at church, and I got done about 8.30, and then my husband and I got in the car, and we drove to Mobile, and then drove the rest of the way to Greenville, South Carolina on Friday, and then I flew back last night. I got home about 8.30, quick 36 hours in Greenville, South Carolina, which let me tell you, that city knows how to do things. Like, they've got great parks and walkways. They've only got 70,000 people, but they have invested, they've used their taxpayer money to like increase quality of life there. It's a very cool city. Anyway, quick 36 hours there and I come back and I, I get into the Baton Rouge airport and I, and I Uber, I had parked my car here at the church, so I Uber back to the church so that I can drive myself home. And I get in the car with my Uber driver and he looks at the map and he says, oh, Blackwater Road. 
do I have a story about Blackwater Road? And I was like, this is, okay, this is going to be interesting. So he proceeds to tell me this story about picking a guy up at the airport, and the guy got in the car, and he was not very friendly at all. Like, he was like, he, you could just tell, he was one of those guys, he was going to be a jerk, and I knew he was going to be a jerk, so I was like, oh, I'm going to take him home, and hopefully never have to see this guy again. So once he gets um, to Blackwater Road, and he gets to their house, he notices that the driveway is a gravel driveway, it's not paved, and he's like, I don't go on unpaved driveways. My car can get stuck. It tears up my, like the gravel spits up at my vehicle. Like, so I have it in my thing. I'm not going on an unpaved driveway. So I, you know, I want to just drop him off at the front of his driveway, but I knew that if I did that, this guy was going to be a jerk. So I was like, against my better judgment, I take the driveway down to their house. And as I'm going, there's a big pothole and I swerve to kind of like miss it. And when I do, I go in the grass and my tires get stuck. So now he's stuck in this guy's driveway. Um, and the guy's still mad that he won't drive him all the way to the house. And he's like, I'm stuck. And the guy's not very nice about it. And he tells him, look, man, you've got like a suburban of there. I've got a hook on my car. Do you think you can pull me out? And he was like, nope. You're going to have to call yourself a, a tow truck. And I'm sitting there listening because like, I've had a flat tire in Central twice, and when I tell you that I didn't have time to call somebody because somebody with a big truck, like, came up and got me so fast that I didn't, like, there was no calling for help. That's how Central folks are. Like, it, you, it doesn't matter. You just get helped. And the guy's like, no, I'm not, I'm not going to call you a tow truck. Um, call your own. I'm going inside. And he's like, he's like while he's telling me the story, he's, he's getting himself all, like, rowdy like he's getting mad telling the story over again like he's super mad about it still you could tell and he's like he said a few words that you know like I, I don't care but like he said a few words in the course of the conversation that lets you know how he really feels about this guy and so then he tells me that the guy goes inside and gets his wife and tells his wife to come out and tell him he has to call a tow truck so the wife comes out and says, you got to leave and we're not going to help you and you got to call a tow truck to get you out of here. He's like, you know, he's like, he keeps telling me they're the scum of the earth. If I ever see those people again and I see them in the grocery store, I will publicly let them know how I feel about them and I don't care what anyone thinks of me after I get done. And I'm just like listening to him and I was like, look, man, I am really sorry that that happened in my city. Like I really, really am. I, I will tell you that like anyone else in Central that I know would have dropped everything they were doing to make sure you got out of the mud. Like you, there's just no way that they wouldn't have. And so I'm sorry that that was your experience. He's like, I know I've met a lot of great people in Central, but like just those people, scum of the earth. And, and he's talking. So as we continue, and, and this, is, this is all from like Baton Rouge Airport to that Catholic church on Hooper. <laughs> like, it's, not, it's not very far. So then I tell, you know, it comes up in the conversation because we're talking about freezing temperatures. And so I say, like, I know a lot of other pastors. I said, I'm a pastor in the church. So like, I know a lot of other pastors that their, their churches, their pipes burst and flooded their churches during all the freezing weather. I'm like, that's just terrible. People's homes and churches, like every, so, many, so much frozen. And he said, oh my gosh, you're a pastor. I'm so sorry for everything I just said. Like, and I was like, no, man, I'm, it's cool. Like, don't worry about me. You're not going to offend me. Like, that, that's completely okay. So we continue the rest of the way, and we're talking. And, and, I, and because we're talking about the cold, I mentioned I'm from the Northwest. And he's like, are you really? 
I was like, Amy's like, where? And I said, outside of Portland. He's like, I'm from Beaverton. I'm like, it's the Be- where I grew up is Newburgh outside of Portland. He grew up in Beaverton. We're like super close neighbors. I was like, no way. So we talked about that for a minute. And then we pull up to the church and, and we're still talking. And, and he says, I have, because I, 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 I asked him how he moved down here. How, did, how, did, how long have you been here? And he said, four years. And I said, because I said, you know, I'd been here 20 and I'm, I'm really grateful that I moved here. I've planted roots here, and I've had a really great, like, community experience. And he's like, yeah, that's not been my experience down here. And I moved here four years ago. He said, you know, I'd lost, I got laid off in, in Beaverton from the job I was at. So then I moved to Austin and get a job there, and that goes fine for a while until the business goes under. So I lose my job there. So I take a job here in Baton Rouge, and, and while I've been working there, then I got laid off from there. And so now I'm an Uber driver. And he said, and then after those three different jobs and the stress of moving, his wife leaves him. So he's lost all of his jobs. His wife has left him. He said, and, and he's tearing up at this point. He looked at me and he said, at one point, I was homeless. I went from having my wife and having a life and having a good job to I was homeless, um, living in my car. And he's just welling up with tears. And, and I said, I am so sorry about that. And I asked him his name, and he told me his name. I said, well, look, I'm going to be praying for you. Um, I want you to know that I'm going to be praying that you find a job that will get you back on your feet. And I said, are you homeless now? And he said, no, I'm staying in, like, some seedy motel that's super cheap. And I said, well, I'm going to be praying that, like, you will – Find a job that gives you enough provision that you can move from maybe maybe not a seedy hotel to maybe a cleaner hotel, you know, whatever that next step is for you. And he said, I'm 60 years old. Like, no one wants to hire me. Like, this is, this is about all I've got. You could tell he was just hopeless. And all I could offer in that moment was prayer, you know, that it feels that, that helpless feeling that you have broken people with broken lives and broken hearts who have just really been beat up by the world. And you know, I don't know him. He might have deserved to lose those jobs. He might have deserved to lose his wife. But it doesn't change that there was a broken-hearted person standing in front of me. So the, I did the only thing I could do. I said I was going to pray for him, and then I tipped him the, the most that Uber will let you tip an Uber driver. Apparently, they have limits on how much like you can tip somebody. So he got a $34 trip on, or tip on a $17 ride. I don't know why that's Uber's limit. And I tell you that not because I want you to hear how much I tipped this man, um, but what I want you to hear in that is that I hope he received some living water from that encounter. I hope he went home to his seedy motel and just felt a little bit better about the next day that was going to come. Because not, not just because, you know, the tip, but because someone knows his name. And someone's praying for him by name. So in this season of Lent, what we're trying to do is recognize the Samaritans that we have failed to love in this world. Sometimes those Samaritans are people who have hurt us. Sometimes they're people we don't have any respect for. 
Sometimes we don't understand them and don't really care to. But then even sometimes the Samaritan is our own self. That own reflection in the mirror that stares back at us and lets us know how glaringly obvious it is that we have made choices that have separated us from God and who God has called us to be. So all of these Samaritans that we've made of others and all of these Samaritans that we've made of ourselves, this is our season to get to the heart of the Messiah that met the Samaritan at the well. Someone that no matter who you are, what you've done, where you come from, someone who will look upon you as a beloved child of God and offer to you living water. So this morning when we talked about Ash Wednesday, I began with a poem from Jan Richardson, um, and this is where we're going to end today as well, because she also has a blessing of that first Sunday in Lent. So as we look for the Samaritans in our lives, those we know of, those who come unexpectedly, and even the one that stares us back in the mirror, I want you to hear these words. If you would enter into the wilderness, do not begin without a blessing. Do not leave without hearing who you are. Beloved, named by the one who has traveled this path before you. Do not go without letting it echo in your ears. And if you find it, it is hard to let it into your heart, do not despair. This is what the journey is for. I cannot promise that this blessing will free you from danger, from fear, from hunger or thirst, from the scorching of sun or the fall of the night. But I can tell you that on this path, there will be help. I can tell you that on this way, there will be rest. I can tell you that you will know the strange graces that come to our aid only on a road such as this that fly to meet us bearing comfort and strength, that come alongside us for no other cause than to lean themselves toward our ear and with their curious insistence, whisper your name, beloved, beloved, beloved. You know, Jesus, um, this is how he lived to teach us what it is to be loved in such a way, to be connected to living water in such a way that we are compelled to love others as lavishly as God has. And one of the ways that Jesus did this, one of the ways he taught this, was by breaking bread and sharing the cup with people who were his best friends but would also become very much like enemies. They would betray him. They would deny him. He knew their fear. He knew their hearts. He knew their broken selves. And yet he still took bread and he took wine. He took the bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And then he took the cup and he offered it to them and said, this 
is the blood of a new covenant, a new promise for the forgiveness of sins poured out for you. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Will you pray with me? God, as we enter into this time of communion with one another, we ask that you pour your Holy Spirit out on us who are gathered here today. We ask that that Spirit unite us as a body of Christ and that as we take these elements, they will transform us for your glory in the world. And God, we ask that you pour your Holy Spirit on these gifts of bread and wine. Let, us, let it be the nourishment that our souls need for this journey ahead of us. In your Son's name we pray. Amen. So when you came in,